Welcome to the African History Network show. It is Tuesday, November 16th, 2021, and we are live. So today uh, was uh, the prosecution rested its case in the Michael Bryan murder trial in the um, uh, killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Day number eight, prosecution rested uh, its case today. Tomorrow, we're going to hear um, from the defense. The defense will present their case. And uh, today, before the prosecution rested, we heard from um, the medical examiner, uh, Edmund Donahue, uh, offered insight into the um, struggle that we saw on video uh, that's at the heart of uh, this case and uh, dealing with claims of self-defense. Um, medical examiner testified on Tuesday that Ahmaud Arbery was first shot at very close range, offering insight into uh, the struggle that's at the heart, that was filmed and that's at the heart of uh, this case. So we'll talk some about what happened in, in court today. And Reverend Jesse Jackson was in court for a second day as well. Now we know on Thursday, uh, it, was, it was supposed to be uh, 100 pastors on Thursday. Now, from what I'm hearing, there's going to be over 200 pastors. They're going to show up outside the uh, Glen County Courthouse. They won't be inside, but outside the Glen County Courthouse to pray with the Ahmad Arbery family and give support. Okay, so that's taking place. Now, um, I posted an article a couple of days ago uh, about a about legislation designed to resolve racial inequities that African American GIs experienced coming back from World War II. Okay, and we've talked about this history before in the GI Bill of 1944 and how a lot of African American GIs were discriminated against when it came to taking advantage of these um, of these benefits, low interest loans to go to college and um, start businesses and buy homes. Representative James Clyburn was on uh, Ali, uh, Ali Velshi's show on Saturday MSNBC, and he talked about this legislation that he's sponsoring um, to uh, it, it, it's legislation to help resolve these racial inequities. Okay, so we'll deal with this also. And uh, and then also we'll talk a little bit about the infrastructure bill some more as well. Okay, now in the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now it's correct your own behavior, what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself. And what you allow the people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or a woman's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. All right, I, I want to jump into uh, this uh, dealing with what took place in court today. And we'll go to clip one after after the break, uh, Shakita. Uh, if we look at this article here from uh, quickly here from the Washington Post, um, Ahmad Arbery was shot at very close range. Medical examiner says Ahmad Arbery was shot at very close range 
uh, medical examiner says. So there was graphic testimony today. Uh, there are graphic scenes of uh, Mount Auburn being shot in his wounds, things of this nature. Uh, a medical examiner. Uh, a medical examiner testified Tuesday that Ahmad Arbery was uh, who was chased and killed while running through Georgia neighborhood last year was shot at very close range, potentially boosting the shooter's self-defense claims. Now, uh, Ed Donahue, who conducted the autopsy, told jurors that Ahmad Arbery was first shot in the wrist and torso at the same time, indicating that uh, that he might have been grabbing Travis McMichael's firearm. Questioned by prosecutors, Edmund Donahue said the wounds all, uh, could also be consistent with someone pushing the gun away, leaving some uncertainty about how jurors should interpret the final moments of the shaky cell phone video that thrust this uh, case into the national spotlight. Now we'll deal with this on the other side of the break of this to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Kwanzaa is coming and the Kwanzaashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African American flag, and a basket. Visit thekwanzashop.com, thekwanzashop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit thekwanzashop.com and place your order today. Kwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. Thekwanzashop.com Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese. Because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's time to be the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. Leadership, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take advantage of it. You control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts. You control the compass of his or her actions. Because the mind can't do a piece of it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. Welcome back to the African History Network show. Um, today is Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. 
And we are live calling numbers 313-778-7600, 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. Uh, be sure to uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for the online class I teach on Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Next class will be Saturday, uh, November 20th, Saturday, November 20th. And this is a 10 week online course. We deal with um, history from uh, well, we do a history leading up to the Civil War, starting with the Louisiana Purchase of 1803. Then we deal with the Civil War, Reconstruction, Jim Crow era, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement, World War One, World War Two. OK, uh, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime uh, as well. So next class is Saturday, uh, November 20th. Class is on sale. Now it's regularly $130 is on sale, uh, $50. And even after the 10 week online course is over with, you can still watch the entire 10 week class. All right. Uh, I want to go back to the uh, article here from the Washington Post about what happened in day eight in the uh, Michael uh, Bryan uh, murder trial and the murder of Ahmad Arbery. Uh, the, the prosecution rested this case today, okay, before the prosecution rested. They heard from uh, medical examiner Edmund Donahue. Now, the testimony came on the final day of the prosecution's case as they uh, suggest three white men racially profiled Ahmaud Arbery based on vague suspicions, based on vague suspicions. Uh, the defense is expected to begin calling its witnesses on Wednesday. Uh, November 17th and argues that the killing occurred when a legitimate citizen's arrest went awry, even though uh, the defendants did not say citizen's arrest. They did not tell Ahmad it was a citizen's arrest. When the uh, police arrived on the scene, uh, they did not tell the police they were trying to effectuate the citizen's arrest. So it, it, it seems like this was something that came about after the fact. Okay, citizens arrest, but no, they did not uh, tell the police they were trying to uh, carry out a citizen's arrest. Now, Travis McMichael, his father, Greg McMichael, and their neighbor, William Roddy Bryan, have pleaded not guilty to murder charges, false imprisonment, and other charges. Now, Edmund Donahue, uh, sorry, attorneys for McMichael, attorneys for Travis McMichael, uh, the son, say their client sought to first scare off Arbery and de-escalate, firing as Ahmad Arbery got close and fearing that the unarmed man would take McMichael's weapon. If you wanted to de-escalate, why don't you go in the opposite direction and leave Ahmad Arbery alone? You, you were the ones chasing for five minutes. I find it interesting. You chasing for five minutes, then say you want to de-escalate. Well, why don't you leave him the hell alone if you want to de-escalate? Prosecutors contend that um, Travis McMichael cannot claim self-defense because he, because he, his father, and their neighbor were the aggressors. Yes, they were. Pursuing Ahmad Arbery in their trucks and then confronting him in their coastal uh, Georgia neighborhood of Satilla Shores. Yet yeah, they were the aggressors, and they chased him for five minutes. So if you wanted to de-escalate, why don't you just leave him the hell alone? 
That's what I want to know. So Edmund Donahue, the medical examiner, testified Tuesday that Ahmad Arbery was beyond medical help before he hit the ground. And basically he said, and testified that he's basically he said he was either going unconscious or unconscious when he hit the ground. Badly wounded in the chest and armpit area and spurting blood from his wrist. The jury saw graphic photos of Ahmad Arbery's body, up close injuries, a blood soaked t-shirt, shotgun pellet still buried beneath skin. At one point, Ahmad Arbery's mother left the gap, left the gallery, rightfully uh, totally understandable. Totally understandable. Now, Edmund Donahue, a medical examiner from uh, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, uh, medical examiner from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, said he initially guessed that Travis McMichael's shotgun muzzle was three to four feet from Ahmad Arbery when fired. But after the defense noted the analysis of another expert at the GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Donahue said he watched the video of the shooting frame by frame and revised that estimate significantly uh, to between three and 20 inches, to between three and 20 inches. Okay, now uh, the expert Brian Leppard testified um, on Monday, that Ahmad Arbery was shot at contact or near contact range and said, quote, I think it's reasonable to say that if the end of the shotgun can touch your shirt, then it would be reasonable to think that you can also grab the shotgun, end quote. If the end of the shotgun can touch your shirt, it would be reasonable to think that you can also grab the shotgun, end quote. All right, now I want to go to clip one here. This is from um, uh, Making the Case with Yodi Tawold uh, from today, dealing with day eight of um, uh, testimony and the prosecution resting his case. Also, uh, Reverend, also, Reverend Jesse Jackson was in court for a second day today. Let's go to clip one, Shakita. A big development today in the trial of the three white men accused of killing Ahmad Arbery. After eight days of testimony and 23 witnesses, the prosecution rested its case, but not before graphic descriptions of his shooting death took up most of the day. Drake Clark has today's developments from Brunswick, Georgia. After the prosecution rested its case and the jurors left the courtroom, we heard from one of the defendants, William Bryan. After his defense attorney, Kevin Gall, filed a motion claiming that Brian's rights to a speedy trial have been violated. Brian told the judge that he has been at the Glynn County Jail for 18 months and that he is in protective custody for 23 hours a day. He says the rough and dirty conditions at the jail is impeding his right to a fair trial. The judge disagreed and that motion was denied. Meanwhile, after eight days of testimony and 23 witnesses, the prosecution arrested its case, but not before the medical examiner testified about how Ahmad Arbery died. His parents were in the courtroom listening to the doctor testify, and unfortunately, 
they had to look at more pictures of their son's dead body. Jurors were shown graphic pictures of Ahmad Arbery's fatal wounds. All right, doctor, please state your name and spell it for the record. Dr. Edmund Donahue, a forensic pathologist, performed Arbery's autopsy. He testified Arbery was shot at three different times, but only two bullets struck his body. The first shot struck the middle of Arbery's chest and grazed his right wrist, causing severe bleeding. The last shot also struck Arbery's chest and his left armpit, hitting a major artery. His body was also riddled with shotgun pellets. The gunshot wound to this torso, was that a fatal gunshot wound? If he had never gotten this one under the arm, would that one in the middle of his torso have killed him? Yes. The doctor told jurors this picture showing Arbery's arm locked in the straight position with his wrist slightly twisted reveals he had a sudden case of a condition called Irv's palsy. He's paralyzed now, can't use that. Um... Based on video of the shooting, Donahue said it appears Arbery suffered a close range or near contact shotgun blast. Still, he said Arbery was able to grab the gun and hit the shooter with his uninjured arm. But the video also shows Arbery collapsing. Donahue said Arbery was losing consciousness as he hit the ground face first. Is there anything they could have done on scene to save his life? No. Gregory and Travis McMichael, along with William Bryan, are on trial for multiple charges, including murder. Arbery's family says he was out jogging when the three white men chased him, claiming he was a neighborhood burglary suspect, and they were going to make a citizen's arrest. Yet, in their own words, they had no evidence of Aubrey stealing anything. Gregory told investigators they had Aubrey trapped like a rat, and that's when Travis shot and killed Aubrey with his 12-gauge shotgun, claiming it was self-defense. We got to get justice to make this thing right, so this kind of stuff will never happen to nobody. Also, defense attorney Kevin Goff once again raised the issue of keeping track of anyone from the public who comes into the courtroom. Goff still continues to argue that black pastors are coming into the courtroom with the express intent to intimidate jurors. Meanwhile, Reverend Jesse Jackson was back in the courtroom today, and he says he will be there every day this week and longer if necessary. In Brunswick, Georgia, I'm Dre Clark for Making the Case. Here to discuss more of today's developments in court on my legal experts, starting with veteran prosecutor and BNC legal contributor Paul Henderson, also with his jury consultant and former defense attorney Robert Swafford. Glad to have you both here. Um, let's start with what happened inside the courtroom today. Uh, the prosecution requested its case in chief today. Paul, your thoughts on the time it took them to present the evidence against three defendants, not to mention the constant interruption from the defense. Did they cover all their bases? I mean, I feel like they covered all of their bases. Obviously, there's a stylized technique in terms of how lawyers present their cases. And uh, it's easy, uh, you know, a Monday quarterbacking uh, in terms of the presentation. I think they checked all the boxes and put the case in uh, well and addressed a lot of the issues. Obviously, at least from my perspective, I wanted to hear more conversations about race. I think it's one of the issues that are difficult to bring up in trial only because people haven't done it in the past, not because it isn't relevant and doesn't need to be done. And in a case like this, I think you hurt your case by not being able to talk about race 
very directly, uh, especially when it's a case like this that everyone sees and agrees upon as the influence of race. Okay, pause right there. You're just backing up about a minute, Shakita. All right, we're coming up on a break. Let's to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotep. We'll be back in a few minutes. Kwanzaa is coming, and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African-American flag, and a basket. Visit thekwanzashop.com, thekwanzashop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit thekwanzashop.com and place your order today. Kwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. TheKwanzashop.com Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30-plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. 910, the Superstation, Detroit's only African American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show. It is Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. We are live. Calling numbers 313 778 7600. 313 778 7600 if you have a question or comment. Okay, so right before the break, we were talking about day eight and the McMichael uh, Bryan murder trial for the murder of Maude Arbery. Uh We know the prosecution uh, rested his case today. Before they rested, we uh, heard from uh, Edmund Donahue, medical examiner, met uh, Edmund Donahue, who examined uh, Ahmaud Arbery's body. Uh, I'm going to go back to this clip here from uh, the Black News Channel uh, from today from uh, uh, making the case with your deep to wold. Let's go back to this clip, uh, Shakita. Open how the case happened and then how the evidence needs to come in. And so uh, I think they did a decent job. Uh, it's interesting to me that they ended with the uh, scientific and forensic evidence about trying to finalize it with more of an empathetic kind of showing about the victim, especially in a case like this where the victim, I think, was attacked from all sides from the very beginning of the case. Uh, but, you know, I'm anxious to see what the defense is going to do, and I'm trying to prepare myself for anger and vitriol, given the questioning and given the attempt uh, of the motions and the feelings that were coming in. Uh, previously and all throughout the case. So. 
Uh, today, jurors uh, saw images of Ahmad's body and other graphic evidence from the scene of the shooting. Robert, uh, the images were hard to look at, yes, but the prosecution had to get them through, uh, had to get them in through their medical examiner to make sense of the injuries Ahmad sustained, uh, as well as the cause of those injuries. What impact does this have on the jury, and does it bode well for the prosecution? Well, you know, it's, it's a real interesting thing about, like, like gruesome images or shocking images or things that you know, have a, a visceral response. And so one of the things I think will be interesting to see is if the defense lawyers start showing those images over and over again. Uh, and, and, and if we do, then we know what they're trying to do. Yeah, in that situation, they would be trying to inoculate or harden uh, the, the jury to it. Because, you know, uh, one of the things that will happen with people, if they see a horrible image over and over again, a graphic image, uh, at some point it becomes less shocking the more times you see it. So it'll be interesting. So, so I think the prosecution is correct in not showing it over and over again because you want it to maintain its visceral impact, it'll be interesting to see if the defense tries to lessen that by showing the images over and over again. Well, the defense now, uh, Paul, gets its turn to put on a case, even though they're not required to put up a shred of evidence. Um, we know that they will, though. What can we expect from the defense, and how will that play out, especially given the fact that there are three defendants with at least two uh, attorneys representing them? Well, that actually gives them an opportunity, even if they wanted to try and shield their clients from their terrible conduct in this case, uh, I think they can split it up and have one of the defense attorneys as a representative be bad cop and be really aggressive. And I think we can expect that. I think they uh, either worked for coordinators or certainly the attorney Goff has been acting as a representative to say these ridiculous things to make the ridiculous motions and to articulate the ridiculous stances on behalf of not just his client, but the others as well. And so I think for them, uh, they have to make a half-hearted attempt or maybe even a whole-hearted attempt at self-defense, which is going to be really difficult in, in this case, I think. But I don't see that there's anywhere for them to go beyond just an admission of guilt, which obviously they're not eager to do when they are fighting these charges uh, and fighting in a way that it at least feels offensive to the memory of Omaha and feels offensive to communities of color that all saw the videotape as well. I mean, this, this is the whole thing. This whole trial is about interpreting a video that we all saw of a modern-day lynching and a murder that took place in broad daylight. And so given those facts, there's very little that the defense attorney can do other than to argue self-defense or distract the jury with other issues. And that can be anything. That's kind of why we see almost the spaghetti thrown on the wall of these motions and ridiculous things that defense is trying to talk about or present in front of a jury to give them anything else to contemplate other than the guilt of their clients that they're trying to represent in the courtroom. Robert, uh, the defense counsel for one of the defendants raised an issue in court last week and again on Monday, and I've been dying to get your take on it. I know how Paul feels. <laughs> but uh, Kevin Goff took issue with Reverend Al Sharpton sitting in court and asked the judge to keep black pastors 
from attending this public trial because it may influence or intimidate the jury. Um, first, I want your reaction to his request. Well, you know, it's absurd uh, because, you know, in America, we have open courts and people can come in and sit and watch trials. And unless, you know, uh, Jesse Jackson, uh, who I know would not be doing anything inappropriate in court, is doing something inappropriate, they have a right to be there. And, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, we don't have star chambers. So one of the big protections that you have as, uh, as a criminal defendant is that people can come in and watch the trial. And even during COVID, whenever we started having Zoom trials or uh, we started having, you know, uh, tr trials that were online or vir virtual, one of the things they had to address is, well, we have open courts. Uh, we're going to show them on YouTube so that people can see them. You know, so it's just an absurd motion. All right, guys, we've got so much more to unpack. I've got more with my legal panel after the break. Okay, pause it right there, Shakita. Okay, so pause it. Okay, so oh, oh, you know what? Go, uh, yeah, let that let that play because we, we get the statement from Reverend Jackson because he, uh, he was in court today for a second day. So go go ahead and let that play. trial of Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, and William Bryant. Today, the prosecution rested its case in chief. Back with me, veteran prosecutor and legal contributor Paul Henderson and jury consultant and former defense attorney Robert Swafford. Uh, all right, guys, Reverend Jesse Jackson, we talked about him earlier. He appeared in court uh, for the first time Monday and again today. And Attorney Gal, uh, Goff, I'm sorry, of took issue with that and filed a motion to, quote, prohibit activity that may intimidate jurors. Goff's comments last week motivated hundreds of black pastors from across the country to travel to Brunswick in support of a monk family. Here's what Jesse Jackson had to say about all this. Uh, you see, we have a solid judge, a judge who has decency, dignity, and humanity all of Jurors, there's nothing wrong with black to black. Jurors is kicking in a very significant way. Robert, the, the jury isn't hearing the back and forth between Goff and the judge on the issue, but can the presence of these supporters, these pastors, still have an impact on them? Well, uh, I, I think the fact that it's high profile in general uh, and public uh, can, can have an impact, but I think that's a good thing. You know, I, I think that, that people taking this case seriously uh, and really digging into evidence and, and not saying, well, you know, it's something that we can make a decision on based on, you know, what tribe we're a part of or what team we're on and there not be any consequence to it, that we won't be called out, uh, I think that that's a good thing. Uh, and so, uh, so if anything, I think it brings integrity to the system, which is why in our system we have open courts. Paul, I'm going to let you uh, make your thoughts known to the viewers. I know how you feel. But go ahead and unleash. Okay, thank you. So here's the thing with that. Even if you listen to defense counsel's own words where he's saying that it may influence the jury or it could influence the jury, that is general and it's not specific 
and it is just conditional that it can prove it. So he can't just say that it could without addressing how it is. That's why he's throwing it out there. The secondary issue, which never gets analyzed in terms of what he's saying, which is inappropriate, is the fact that they are allowed to be in the courtroom on behalf of the victim family. They're allowed to have whomever they want in the courtroom with them to support them during the process on behalf of the victim, who, by the way, is dead because of his client. So that's the legal analysis as to why none of this matters. But let's take a step back from it and really try and understand why he's making these ridiculous motions, separate from the fact that they are inappropriate without a legal basis and, and, and seem to dance upon a racist approach. Because the way in which he talks about the issue in the first place with generalities about they and them and us can't help but echo sentiments about black people and or white people in the context of his argument as if that elevates his argument into something credible rather than shining the light on how ignorant he is and how racist he is in this case. If it weren't clear before, it's been clear because of the motions that he's making. And even just earlier, when you were talking about these issues and saying that he had the nerve to raise a speedy trial motion in the Ahmad Aubrey case, are you freaking kidding me? I held myself back from cursing. But to not make a speedy trial motion in a case like this, where this case was delayed because of the defendant, first of all, killing someone and lynching him on the street, but then secondarily because of how law enforcement reacted and didn't react to get this case left to trial now because of delays which are illegal, because of delays which were inappropriate, because of delays which were racist, and then you compound it by trying to say that your right for the defendant has been stepped upon because of a delay in the trial, which, by the way, you don't get to ask for a speedy trial because your client has been in custody too long. Speedy trial speaks to rights to get a trial to court in the first place. It went to court not because of the delays from your client, but because of the criminal justice system. And now to make this motion is it's beyond ludicrous. It's offensive. It's inappropriate. And as to his commentary about how uncomfortable his client is in custody, I don't even need to say anything. But you have a lot of time to be. <laughs> All right. So, so okay. So I was watching. Pause, pause it right there. Pause it right there. Coming up on a break. Pause it right there. I am waiting for that. Pause it right there, Shakita. We're coming up on a break. Those are the legal issues, in my opinion. You get both. Stop it right there. Thank you. We're coming up on the break. So I was watching the testimony. I was listening to the testimony today. And Kevin Gow puts William Bryan uh, on the witness stand to talk about how hard of a time William Bryan is having in prison and how long he's been. He, he's I'm sorry, jail. He's not in prison. He's in jail. He's been waiting. I think he's been in jail. I think he said something like 18 months waiting on the trial all this and he only gets to take a shower once a day sometimes once every 36 hours and how hard it is oh, you better get ready because you haven't seen anything yet you listen to the african history network show on michael m hotel we'll be back in a few minutes soul in motion celebrating 38 years in the arts this energetic ensemble of dancers and drummers was started by percussionist michael friend and is led by choreographer, associate director, Pam Lassiter. 
Based in the Washington, D.C. area, Soul in Motion is now accepting bookings for Black History Month, Juneteenth, and summer festivals in 2022. Soul in Motion is also available for more intimate events like naming ceremonies and weddings. To find out more or book your date, call 240-452-1349 or send an email to info at soulinmotion.org. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Soul in Motion, celebrating our history, our culture, our future. Soul in Motion, theater, African dance, and drumming since 1984. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. Okay, um, so we just talked about uh, day eight in the Michael uh, Bryan murder trial and the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, the, the prosecution rested his case today. Um, the defense uh, starts with their... Um, uh, defense on tomorrow presenting their case uh, tomorrow, so we'll cover that as well. Okay, now I want to switch gears. Shakita, we're going to go to uh, clip number three. On yesterday's show, uh, we we ran out of time when um, for part of the interview that I played from uh, uh, Prime with Charles Blow from uh, Wednesday, November tenth, twenty twenty one. We were talking about the infrastructure bill and Charles Blow interviewed uh, Representative James Clyburn. OK, so um, I want to play. So, so he was talking about the infrastructure bill, how it's beneficial to African-Americans. The second part of the interview towards the end, he talked about uh, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. OK, and we ran out of time broadcast on 1980. 9, 10 a.m. yesterday. So I want to uh, go to uh, this next segment here. Okay, uh, let's go to clip three, Shakita. We're going to start at the nine minute, 11 second mark. So he said they're going to continue to try to get the bill passed. What you're going to have to do, you're not going to get any help from Republicans. So you're going to have to um, either get rid of the filibuster which i which they're not going to democrats are not going to get rid of the filibuster and and rightfully so because what nobody really wants to be honest 
about and tell the truth about is that Democrats used to filibuster a number of times under the Trump administration to stop harmful bills from uh, Republicans in the Senate. Okay, no, nobody really wants to be honest enough uh, to say that. I'll tell you that because we dealt with that here on this show and, I, and we, we dealt with the evidence. Okay, uh, okay, let's go to this clip. Exactly. Exactly. The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act passed in the House of Representatives March 3rd, 2021, by a vote of 220 to 212. All the Republicans voted against the bill. And, and, and as I said back, as I said back in May, and people jumped on Clyburn and I said Clyburn was absolutely correct uh, the, with the negotiations between Democrats and Tim Scott in the Senate. They said the sticking point was qualified immunity. I, Clyburn said that that's the, he said, we don't have to get qualified immunity right now. He said, take it out, get the rest of the bill passed. And all uh, the activists were going crazy, having conniptions, Tamika Mallory, Sean King, all these other people say, oh, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. Now you didn't get the damn bill passed. I told you, take that out, get the rest of the bill passed. Qualified immunity is not the most important thing in the bill. Go to congress.gov and read the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Look at this fact sheet from judiciary.house.gov. The most important thing in the bill is lowering the federal standard from willful intent down to recklessness, which means that you can federally prosecute 
more police officers criminally and ultimately get more police officers convicted criminally. Qualified immunity is a civil lawsuit in civil court. Nobody's going to prison over that. You got to do research and stop following these talking points. They're stupid. I said back in May, take that BS out. No, people didn't want to do that. And now you can get the bill passed. Okay, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching. Uh, we're going to keep broadcasting for a few more minutes. I want to go to, uh, I want to deal with this other story dealing with uh, legislation to resolve GI Bill racial inequities uh, regarding African-American GIs. And these, this bill was introduced by Democrats because Republicans ain't going to introduce nothing like that. Okay, you just, uh, th thanks for watching the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Right now, it's correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win. We're kind of forever. Stand by. Okay. Um, Senate Republicans did not agree on the bill because Tim Scott was negotiating on behalf of Senate Republicans. And, Senate, and the Senate Republicans, most of them were against taking out qualified immunity. So the bill did not come up. The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act did not come up for a vote in the Senate. Now, all the, all the Democrats supported the bill. Senator Cory Booker and Representative Karen Bass were negotiating with Senator Tim Scott on behalf of the Democrats, and he's negotiating on behalf of Republicans. Okay, um, so so read, read read that fact sheet. This deals with what's it was in the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act of 2021, and you can go to Congress.gov and read the bill and read a summary of the bill. And then you can look and see who voted for the bill in the House of Representatives. No Republicans voted for the bill because the one Republican who did vote for the bill, he put out a tweet and said he accidentally voted for the bill and was going to correct his vote. So no, no Republicans supported the bill. And that was in the House. See, this is this is the example. See, this is this is where a lot of this woke BS People are going to end up with nothing. I, told, I, I said back in May, I said it on Roland Martin Unfiltered, and I said it on this show. If you can't come to an agreement on qualified immunity, take qualified immunity out and get the rest of the bill passed. Why the hell are you going to keep arguing for months about qualified immunity? That doesn't even make sense. Uh, which one is it? Is it this one here or I think it's the one before this one. It's, uh, what's the, okay, let's look at, uh, you can read this article also here from NBC news. Uh, here's what the George Floyd justice and policing that would do. This is from April 21st, 2021. Okay, you can read that one as well. Um, all right, now, I want to shift gears here. I want to go to uh, this right here. I, I, I've done a presentation in the past dealing with the... Um, GI Bill, how African-American uh, World War II veterans 
were discriminated against when they came back home. Uh, there's legislation being introduced by Democrats because Republicans don't want to deal with racism. Axios.com had an article about this. We posted this uh, a couple of days ago on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network. And I saw Representative Clyburn on uh, Ali Velshi's show uh, on Saturday talking about this during the interview. And I said, we're going to discuss this on the show because once again, this deals with how elections have consequences and understanding how politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties that adopts an interpretation and enforcement. So I'm going to cue this up here because it was toward the end of the interview that they talked about this. But um, legislation to resolve GI Bill racial inequities introduced by Democrats. Uh, this is from Axios.com. Um, and this is from November 11th, 2021. Okay. Congressional Democrats reintroduced legislation this week that would, if passed, help resolve racial inequities regarding GI Bill benefits, because most Republicans don't even want to acknowledge racism exists and don't want to deal with anything like this. Okay. And if and if they do, name them. Who are they? Where where are they? You may have one or two out of 212 in, in the House and 50 in the Senate. Where are they? Now, why does this matter? Many African-American service members who fought for the country during World War II were denied, were, de were denied or prevented from taking full advantage of veteran benefits after they returned home from the war because of racial discrimination, white supremacy and racism, et cetera, okay? Uh, President Franklin uh, D. Roosevelt, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, signed the GI Bill into law in 1944, okay? And it was actually June of, um, June 22nd, 1944. He signed the bill to reward honorably discharged uh, veterans for their service helping by helping them return to civilian life through college assistance, low-cost mortgages to buy homes, and low-interest uh, business loans, okay? College assistance to go to college. And also, they got assistance to go to trade schools if they decide to go to trade schools. Low-cost mortgages and low-interest business loans. However, the bill, the, G, uh, the GI Bill, as is commonly known, but the actual name is the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944. The Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944, commonly known as the GI Bill. The GI Bill was designed to accommodate Jim Crow segregation policies and racial, political, and institutional barriers. So many African American veterans were never able to fully access the federal benefits. Now, it's important to understand that our taxpayer dollars, taxpayer dollars, were paying for these benefits. Um, 
from about 1944 to, it was about 1944 to um, about going into the 1970s, I think it was, the U.S. invested $67 billion in the GI Bill, okay? Uh, well, it was, say, from 44, so 50 years, from 44 to 90, 1994. Over 50 years, the impact of the GI Bill was enormous, with 20 million veterans and dependents using the education benefits and 14 million home loans guaranteed for a total federal investment of $67 billion, a total federal investment of $67 billion. Among the millions of Americans who have taken advantage of the GI Bill are former President George H.W. Bush, the father, Gerald Ford, who was um, Richard Nixon's second vice president, because Spiro T. Agnew, his first vice president, had to resign because he was hit with uh, uh, corruption charges and tax evasion charges. Uh, vice President Al Gore and entertainers Johnny Cash, Ed, Ed McMahon, Paul Newman, and Clint Eastwood. Okay, now, um, as a result, these veterans and their families were hindered from receiving an education and building generational wealth through buying homes or starting businesses, which are key to achieving intergenerational economic mobility. So these African-American veterans had earned the right to uh, take advantage of these benefits, but they were being discriminated against because of white supremacy and racism, even though taxpayer dollars from African-Americans were helping to subsidize the, the, the GI Bill, which was largely benefiting white veterans. You, you're using taxpayer dollars, well, taxpayer dollars from everybody, including African-Americans, to create opportunities for white veterans, but African-American veterans who earned the same benefits are largely being discriminated against from using the benefits that they earn. But our taxpayer dollars are paying for these benefits for white veterans. Now, I wonder if any of these Republicans running around are going to call that socialism. Are they going to call the GI Bill socialism? I'm just curious. I'm just curious. Okay, let's go back to this article here. So, as a result, the veterans and their families were hindered from receiving an education and building generational wealth through buying homes or starting businesses, which are key to achieving intergenerational economic mobility. The GI Bill Restoration Act, introduced this week by House Majority Whip James Clyburn, and uh, who's part of the Congressional Black Caucus. You got all these people running around, Congressional Black Caucus don't do nothing, anything. First thing you should do is go to their website. You do realize they put out a year and report each year that talks about everything they do, right? You, I mean, this, I mean, this is for people who actually read. You do realize this, right? There's a year and report each year that the CBC puts out. Is that their website, cbc.house.gov? The GI Bill Restoration Act, introduced this week by House Majority Whip James Clyburn, 
Democrat from South Carolina, and Representative Seth Malton, uh, Democrat from Massachusetts, who's white. The, uh, the author of the legislation would extend these loan and education benefits to living spouses and descendants of black World War II veterans. Living spouses and descendants of black World War II veterans. It would extend these loans and education benefits to living spouses and descendants of black World War II veterans. It would also establish an independent panel to study how veteran benefits are, ad are administered to women and people of color and make recommendations to resolve any uncovered inequities and make recommendations to resolve any uncovered inequities. Senator Raphael Warnock, who's a member of the Congressional Black Caucus, last time I checked he is black, he's from Georgia. Senator Raphael Warnock is set to introduce the legislation in the U.S. Senate later this month. Now, it is, quote, it is important to acknowledge this injustice and help address the wealth gap that was exacerbated by the government's failure to fulfill this promise to World War II veterans of color, said Representative James Clyburn in a statement. Quote, we can never fully repay those American heroes like the Tuskegee Airmen, but we can fix this going forward for their families, end quote, said Representative Seth, Seth Moulton, who is an Iraq war veteran. Quote, while our generation did not commit this wrong, we should be committed to making it right. While our generation did not commit this wrong, we should be committed to making it right. I wonder how many Republicans are gonna vote for this bill. Because no Republicans in the House or the Senate voted for the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, and it was going to help a whole lot of poor-ass white people in their districts that keep voting for them. Okay? And no Republicans in the House or the Senate voted for the bill, for the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. So I wonder how many are going to vote for, for this bill here. I'm just curious. While our generation, Representative Seth Moulton, Democrat from Massachusetts, who's white, said, while our generation did not commit this wrong, we should be committed to making it right. This legislation honors our nation's commitment to American veterans, end quote. So in between attacking Big Bird, like Senator Ted Cruz, and trying to ban books and attacking uh, uh, Tony Morrison, who's deceased, and trying to ban beloved and ban and talk about banning critical race theory that's not even taught in K through twelve schools. I wonder how many Republicans are going to support this bill. Okay, now uh, let's see here. I want to go to I want to go to this clip here. They talked about this on. Ali Velshi show on MSNBC. Uh, this was Saturday. Saturday was that November 13th, I think it was. 
Saturday, November 14th. Um, they were speaking with Representative James Clyburn, and they all, this is one of the topics that they discussed as well. Let's go to this. That's at the 506 mark. Okay, let's go to this clip. Okay, hold on. This is not playing. Just a second here. All right, let's play this trials again. So trying to put in place. And Congressman, I just want to underscore that the president has often said that we are right now in the battle for our democracy because we are facing an autocratic governance if we do not step up. But I also want to applaud the bill that you just recently introduced, recognizing the efforts of African-American World War II veterans and how their ancestors now will be able to be eligible to receive in GI the allocations of the GI Bill that before were not, they were not eligible because of the color of their skin. Can you elaborate on that bill you introduced? Well, thank you very much for allowing me to do that. I have joined uh, with Representative Seth Moulton of Massachusetts uh, to honor two sergeants. One, Sergeant Maddox from Massachusetts, and Sergeant Isaac Woodard from South Carolina. Uh, I think that if people were to look at what happened to these two uh, gentlemen, Coming back from World War II, having just saved this country uh, from an autocracy and have uh, be punished, not even allowed to participate in the GI Bill. The GI Bill meant so much to so many people, helping them rebuild their lives. And a lot of people did rebuild their lives uh, as a result of the GI Bill. But these two gentlemen and thousands of others were denied access Sergeant Woodard was blinded uh, by being in South Carolina while in his uniform. All he was trying to do is be an American. He is the one who gave the incentive that incentivized Brown v. Board of Education. If you look at the story of Isaac Woodard, you will see how a federal judge, Jay Wittes Warren, here in South Carolina, looked at what happened to him and decided he was no longer going to be a Southern judge, he was going to be an American uh, judge. And these kinds of things need to be rectified. He was the one that incented uh, Harry Truman to intervene the armed services. Harry Truman said in the letter, when I see something like this, it's got to come to, to an end. So Sergeant Maddox was denied an education, uh, and all around him could get it with the GI Bill, and so Seth Moulton and I are trying hard to do what is necessary uh, to make to right that wrong for their children or their descendants. You know, Congressman, oftentimes people say wages representation matter, and you are emblematic of why it's important for Americans to be able to choose the representatives that reflect their values and who they are. So thank you, Congressman, for your work. Jim Clyburn, Democrat from the South from South Carolina. All right. So he mentioned Isaac Woodard. I talked about Isaac Woodard before. Um, and that was from Saturday, November 13th. I talked about Isaac Woodard before. You can read this article here from um, the Washington Post. A black World War II veteran was beaten 
and blinded, fueling the civil rights movement. A black World War II veteran was beaten and blinded, fueling the civil rights movement. This is about Isaac Woodard. Um, a new documentary explores how Isaac Woodard changed America. All right. Um, and he, he was blinded in an assault by police officers. Uh, this article is from March 31st, 2021 by Deneen L. Brown for the Washington Post. Now, in February uh, 1946, Sergeant Isaac Woodard, a decorated African-American soldier just returning uh, from World War II, rode a Greyhound bus uh, head, uh, heading home to South Carolina. Woodard, who had just been honorably discharged from the army and was still wearing his uniform, asked the bus driver to stop so that he could use the bat use the restroom. The driver reluctantly pulled over after calling Isaac Woodard a boy who was in his army uniform. He was a sergeant in the, in the army. Called him a boy. Isaac Woodard who had just returned from more than three years of military service in the Pacific stood up for himself and other African-American veterans telling the driver not to talk to him like that. Isaac Woodard said, I'm a man just like you. Now at the next town, Batesburg, South Carolina and representative James Clyburn is a representative in South Carolina. The Batesburg police chief pulled Isaac Woodard off the bus and immediately began beating him, plunging a blackjack into each of Isaac Woodard's eye, eye sockets and blinding him, like a billy club, the blackjack, and blinding him, okay, while he's wearing his, his army uniform. Now, Isaac Woodard was taken to jail where he would later explain that someone poured whiskey on him to say that he had been drunk. He spent the night in excruciating pain. The next morning, morning he was taken to court in order to sign papers that he could not see or read. A new documentary, The Blinding of Isaac Woodard, directed by Jamila Efren and narrated by Andre Holland, premiered uh, on uh, uh, American Experience back in uh, March 2021 on PBS. The documentary explores the story of Isaac Waters' life and how the beating fueled the civil rights movement and changed the trajectory of U.S. history. Quote, based on Bob Gergel's uh, book, An Unexampled, Courage. The film details how the crime led to uh, the racial awakenings of South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina judge, uh, South Carolina judge J. Watis Waring, and President Harry Truman, who desegregated federal offices and the military two years later. End quote. According to uh, PBS Public Broadcasting System. The documentary uncovers, quote, how a single individual can be the spark that ignites a movement and creates a seismic, seismic shift in public opinion, end quote, said Cameo George, the film's executive producer. 
Although his name is little known today, Isaac Woodard's story changed hearts and minds and the law of the land. Although his name is little known today, Isaac Woodard's story changed hearts and minds and the law of the land, end quote. Now, two months after he was blinded, Isaac Woodard traveled to New York, New York City, where he met with Walter White, executive secretary of the NAACP. The NAACP's legal team, led by Thurgood Marshall, have been looking for civil rights cases that could be help that that could help dramatize the impact of Jim Crow laws, lynchings, white supremacy, police brutality, and racial violence committed against African Americans. Here's Thurgood Marshall here. Hundreds of African American veterans have been attacked, and an unknown number were lynched. Hundreds of African American veterans had been attacked and an unknown number uh, had uh, were lynched. The NAACP offices were filled with harrowing reports of black veterans lynched. One African-American veteran lynched had been murdered for casting a vote in a primary. One African-American veteran had been murdered for casting a vote in a primary. Now, in July 1946, four African Americans, including George W. Dorsey, a distinguished veteran uh, who had served in uh, World War II in the Pacific and North Africa, were beaten, tortured, and fatally shot and hanged from the Moore's Ford, M-O-O-R-E apostrophe S, Moore's Ford Bridge in Walton County, Georgia, in what is called the last mass lynching in America. This was in 1946, the year after World War II ends, which ends in 1945. Quote, so many people did not survive their encounters with police officers, Jamila Ephraim, Efren, the uh, the film's director, said in a telephone interview, quote, here someone has survived. Isaac Woodard's face bore the evidence of the crime committed against him, end quote. Unlike so many other African-American veterans who have been lynched, Isaac Woodard lived to tell his story. The NAACP was able was uh, was, quote, able to issue uh, so was able to use Isaac Woodard to galvanize people. OK, uh, Jamila Efren, Efren said. Isaac Woodard traveled the country on a speaking tour, a benefit concert headlined by huge stars, uh, including Billie Holiday, Woody Guthrie and Duke Ellington was was organized to raise money for Isaac Woodard, Sergeant Isaac Woodard. Heavyweight champion Joe Lewis co-chaired the concert. Now, Isaac Woodard took the stage speaking in a low voice. The audience of more than 20,000 people fell silent. He said, quote, I spent three and a half years in the service of my country and thought I would be treated as a man when I returned to my country. But that was a mistake. But that was a mistake. Now, Isaac Woodard's story resonated. 
more than 900,000 um, African-American men fought in World War II, including Megger Evers, who was at D-Day in uh, 1944 in France. Megger Evers was a World War II veteran. More than 900,000 African-American men fought in World War II. Most of them returned home to the South, carrying themselves with with the with dignity of uh with the dignity of having fought for their country hoping they would be treated with respect instead many were attacked simply for wearing their uniforms now uh, jamila efron said it coalesced with a moment when yet again black men had gone off to fight for human rights to come home and have those rights denied them. It coalesced with a moment when yet again, black men had gone off to fight for human rights to come home and have those rights denied them, end quote. It reached a tipping point amongst black veterans and black communities that enough was enough. The NAACP asked the actor Orson Welles to use his weekly radio show to highlight the brutal attack on Isaac Woodard. Week after week, actor Orson Welles, who was white, pounded at the question, who was the officer who beat and blinded Woodard? Who was the officer who beat and blinded Isaac Woodard? Orson Welles asked for help in identifying the town where Isaac Woodard was beaten and the name of the officer. Quote, Officer X, end quote, Orson Welles announced, I'm talking to you. You are going to be uncovered. This is Orson Welles saying this on his radio show. Within days, the NAACP received a letter from an African-American soldier who wrote he was on the bus when Isaac Woodard was pulled off, pulled off the bus. The letter writer identified the town where the beating occurred as Batesburg, South Carolina. Officer X Orson Welles announced, we know your name now. Now here is um, Isaac Woodard applying for maximum disability benefits. And his mother is with him also. You see Isaac Woodard with the sunglasses on. On September 19, 1946, uh, White led a delegation. Let me see here. Did I skip something? Orson Welles. Okay. Uh, Walter White. On September 19, 1946, Walter White of the NAACP led a delegation of civil rights leaders to meet with President Harry S. Truman to urge him to work to pass anti-lynching legislation, to urge him to pass anti-lynching legislation. Quote, when White realizes Truman isn't going to move forward, according to PBS, he tells the president, also a veteran, the story of Isaac Woodard and President Harry Truman was enraged. He had taken this meeting with civil rights leaders reluctantly 
and was prepared to brush them off, Jamila Efren recalled. Now, when Harry Truman heard about the police attack on Isaac Woodard, a veteran, he exclaimed, my God, I did not know it, it, it was this bad. We've got to do something. The next day, President Harry Truman ordered his attorney general to bring federal charges against Batesburg Police Chief Linwood L. Shaw, S-H-U-L-L, who was charged with violating the civil rights of uh, Sergeant Isaac Woodard for blinding, for blinding both of his eyes, for blinding him in both eyes. A month later, on November 5th, 1946, Shaw, uh, Officer Shaw's trial began in Columbia, South Carolina. The trial was presided over by Judge J. Watties Waring, the son of a Confederate soldier. During the trial, Isaac Woodard testified that he was pulled off the interstate bus on the night of February 13th, 1946 in Batesburg, South Carolina. Quote, Shoal, Officer Shoal, was waiting for him at the bus door, he said, and struck him before he could say anything, end quote, according to a 1946 United Press News article. Two war veterans, a Negro and a white, were discharged at Augusta the same day as I Woodard and rode on the bus with him testified that the Negro was not drunk and had not created a disturbance. They testified that Isaac Woodard was not drunk and had not created a disturbance. The all white jury deliberate, deliberate, deliberated only 15 minutes before acquitting officer Shaw. Quote, Judge Waring and his wife are appalled at the blatant miscarriage of justice. Waring will devote the rest of his career to the fight against racism. The Warings become the targets of threats and violence. Okay, according to PBS, Public Broadcasting System. A month after the trial ended on December 5th, 1946, Okay, and this is the year after World War II ends. President Harry S. Truman signed an executive order creating the President's Committee on Civil Rights. On June 28, 1947, President Truman accepted an invitation from the NAACP's Walter White to speak at the organization's annual convention. President Truman said in his speech at the Lincoln Memorial, quote, there is no justifiable reason for discrimination because of ancestry or religion or race or color. We cannot any longer await the growth of a will to action in the slowest state or the most backward community. Our national government must show the way. Our national government must show the way. A month later, on July 26, 1946, President Harry S. Truman signed Executive Orders 980 and 9981, racially integrating the U.S. military and the federal government workforce. Racially integrating the U.S. military and the federal government workforce. And that is a result of the activism that resulted after um, 
Sergeant Isaac Woodard was blinded and the victim of police brutality. Okay, so, and this is who Representative James Clyburn talked about in the clip that I just played, talked about Sergeant Isaac Woodard. Read this article here from the Washington Post. A black World War II veteran was beaten and blinded, fueling the civil rights movement. A black World War II veteran was beaten and blinded, fueling the civil rights movement. Uh, this is from, this is the story of Isaac Woodard, Sergeant Isaac Woodard. This is from March 31st, 2021 by Deneen L. Brown for the Washington Post. Okay, now, um, very quickly here. See, this, so this is why understanding history is important and understanding laws and policies. You have to understand history to understand the policies that need to be put in place to address historical inequities. Okay, this is why this bill is so important. Also read this article here from Axios.com, legislation to resolve GI Bill racial inequities introduced by Democrats. This is by Jacob Knutson, K-N-U-T-S-O-N. And this is from November 11th, 2021 for Axios.com, A-X-I-O-S, Axios.com. All right, now, um, if you'd like this type of information, be sure to register for the 10-week online course that I teach on Saturdays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, where we get deep into this type of information. And each class we go through and analyze approximately a 10-year uh, period of time, some cases more than 10 years. And we deal with history leading up to the Civil War starting in 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase. And then we deal with uh, the Civil War, World War I, Civil War, uh, uh, Reconstruction Era, 1865 to 1877, um, Jim, Jim Crow Era, Great Migration, 1915 to 1970, we look at migrations like the uh, Black Exodus of 1879 and 6,000 African-Americans migrating out of Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, going into uh, Kansas. OK, uh, and, and then we look at the uh, we look at the Jim Crow era, uh, World War One, World War Two, Great Migration, Civil Rights Movement and Black Power Movement to understand what happened to us. To understand what happened to us. Uh, after slavery ended and the laws and policies put in place so we understand where we need to go from here. All right. Okay, so uh, click on register here when you go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We and I just posted a link here. Class is regularly $130. It's on sale $50. As soon as you register, you can watch the class we did um, this past Saturday. All right. And we do the sessions live. All the sessions are recorded. You can watch it anytime, even after the 10-week online course is over with you. You can still watch it. So next year, if you want to watch the whole class, you can do that. Um, very quickly here. I want to look at uh, this article. We'll probably talk about this some more tomorrow's show. I've done an entire presentation dealing with this as well. How the GI Bill's promise was denied to uh, a million black World War II veterans. How the GI Bill's promise was denied 
to a million black World War II veterans. And uh, this is a piece here from uh, history.com, official website of the History Channel. The sweep, so this deals with the GI Bill, 19, uh, June 22nd, 1944. Okay, the service, the Servicemen's uh, Readjustment uh, Act. All right, just a second here. Okay. So we'll look at this very briefly and we'll talk about this some more tomorrow show because we've already been here an hour and a half. Uh, Something very quickly I want to look at here. So you have 1.2 million African-American World War II veterans who are largely going to be shut out of the GI Bill. While the GI Bill's language did not specifically exclude uh, African-American veterans from its benefits. It was structured in a way that ultimately shut uh, doors for 1.2 million African-American veterans who had who have bravely served their country during World War II in segregated ranks. Bravely served their country in World War II in segregated ranks, okay? Now, this part here is very important. Fear of black advancement, fear of black advancement. When lawmakers began drafting the GI Bill in 1944, some Southern Democrats feared that returning black veterans, returning black veterans would use public sympathy for veterans to advocate against Jim Crow laws. And in my class, we look at the evolution of the Jim Crow laws after Reconstruction ends in 1877. And we see in 1881, like on, on, on yesterday's show, when we talked about Pledge versus Ferguson, 1896 US Supreme Court case, and that dealt with uh, segregation on uh, railroad cars, on trains. And we go back to uh, 1881, Tennessee was the first state to pass laws segregating uh, railroad cars. It was Tennessee in 1881, then they followed by Florida in 1887, Mississippi 1888, Texas 1889, Louisiana 1890. Pleasy versus Ferguson was uh, originated out of Louisiana in 1892, that case, and it goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, okay? Um, Alabama, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Georgia in 1891. And then you have you're going to have South Carolina and other states. OK, so there and uh, then they're writing uh, segregation into their state constitutions and imposing poll taxes and literacy tests, things like this. Grandfather clauses. They're doing this in their state constitutions. All right. And this is in the late 1800s, early 1900s. OK, so when lawmakers began drafting the GI Bill in 1944, some Southern Democrats feared that returning African-American voters would use public sympathy for veterans to advocate uh, against Jim Crow laws. 
to make sure the GI Bill largely benefited white people, the Southern Democrats drew on tactics that had previously uh, that had previously used to ensure that had been previously used to ensure that the New Deal helped as few African Americans as possible. During the drafting of the law, the chair of the House Veterans Committee, Mississippi Congressman John Rankin, played hardball and insisted that the program be administered by individual states instead of the federal government. He insisted that the program, the GI Bill, be uh, uh, administered by individual states instead of the federal government. And this is something that Representative Jace Clyburn has talked about when it comes to this bill, okay? When it when it, when it comes to um, the uh, the bill that he's introducing to address this historical discrimination. Now, uh, Representative John Rankin got his way, and he was known for his virulent racism. Representative John Rankin Rankin of Mississippi uh, defended segregation. He opposed interracial marriage, and he had been—he uh, had even proposed legislation to confine, to confine, then deport every person with Japanese heritage during World War II. Now, when the bill came to a committee vote in the House of Representatives, Representative John Rankin. Stonewalled, uh, in an stonewalled the bill in an attempt. Just a second here. Okay, he stonewalled the bill in an attempt to gut another provision that entitled all veterans to twenty dollars a week of unemployment compensation for a year. It entitled all veterans to $20 a week of unemployment compensation for a year. Now, Representative John Rankin knew this would represent a significant gain for African-American Southerners so he refused to cast a critical proxy vote in protest. The American Legion ended up tracking down the congressman who had left his proxy vote with John Rankin and flying him to Washington to break the deadlock. President Roosevelt, President Franklin Roosevelt, signed the Servicemen's Readjustment Act into law on June 22nd, 1944, only weeks after the D-Day offensive began. It ushered into law sweeping benefits for veterans, including college tuition, low-cost home loans, and unemployment insurance. All right. And very quickly here, we'll talk about this some more tomorrow's show. From the start, African-American veterans had trouble securing the GI Bill's benefits. Some could not accept, uh, some could not access, uh, 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 some could not access uh, benefits 
because they have not been given an honorable discharge and a much larger number of African-American veterans were discharged dishonor dishonorably than their white counterparts. Veterans who did qualify could not find facilities that delivered on the bill's promise. African-American veterans in vocational training programs at a segregated high school in Indianapolis were unable to participate in activities related to plumbing, electricity, and printing because adequate equipment was only available to white students. When you actually go through and get past all of the romance, uh, get past people romanticizing about segregation and actually study it, it was segregating us out of opportunity. It was locking us out of opportunity. This is an example of this. We earned the benefits, but because of segregated uh, training programs, we didn't have the we didn't have the 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 access. We didn't have the uh, infrastructure there, okay, or the capacity for us to be able to take advantage of plumbing programs and uh, uh, electrician programs and printing programs, even though we earned the benefits. This is an example of segregation. African-American veterans, see, this, see, people think about segregation and like not being able to be served at a, at, a, at a white lunch counter. No, we're talking about being segregated, locked out of opportunities, and these opportunities be, being protected for white people. African-American veterans in a vocational training program at a segregated high school in Indianapolis, which is up north last time I checked, were unable to participate in activities related to plumbing, electri electricity, or elect being an, an electrician, and printing because adequate equipment was only available to white students. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race, which comes out of the ideology of European white supremacy for the purpose of preserving genetic white survival. Racism has nothing to do with not liking people or calling people racial epithets or things or calling people the N-word. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distribute, distributed based upon race. This is an example of this. And, and, and the GI Bill is one of the major things after slavery ends that contributes to the racial wealth gap. The GI Bill and African Americans largely being locked out of being able to take advantage of the benefits that they earned and that their taxpayer dollars are subsidizing. Simple intimidation kept others from enjoying GI, GI Bill benefits. In 1947, for example, a crowd hurled rocks at African American veterans as they moved into a Chicago housing development. Thousands of African-American veterans were attacked in the years following World War II, and some were singled out and lynched or beaten by police like Sergeant Isaac Woodard in his uniform. Coming back home 
from serving this country and fighting in World War II. We'll talk about this some more to tomorrow's show. Okay. Now this is understanding what happened after World War II ended and how this these historical inequities and how this history impacts us today. Okay. And what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. This is why understanding history is so important and how, and how history and laws and policies intersect. Legislation to resolve GI Bill racial inequities introduced by Democrats. It didn't say introduced by Republicans. I'm neither Republican nor Democrat, but I sure as hell ain't stupid. I study this stuff on a daily basis. Well, how many Republicans are going to support this bill to address this historical racism, these historical inequities? They don't. Most most Republicans don't don't even want to acknowledge these historical inequities exist. They don't. Most of them don't even want to acknowledge that racism like still exists today, and we're still dealing with the legacy of racism, not 246 years of slavery, but just uh, just in the last 156 years, just after slavery ended. Most of them don't even want to deal with that. We saw how how Secretary uh, 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 of Transportation Pete Buttigieg was attacked by many Republicans when on November 8th at a White House press briefing, he talked about historical racism when it came to transportation and when it came to infrastructure. Because this is one of the things that the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill is going to address. All right, that's enough radio for the day. Um, follow us here on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. So this is why the, uh, the foundation is African history and culture. It gives us our VIPs, our values, our interests, and our principles. It influences our economic empowerment and political empowerment. And this is why understanding history is so important. The laws and policies put in place, how we got to where we are today, what laws and policies need to be put in place to take us where we need to go. So when we talk about repairing the damage of, of slavery and uh, Jim Crow segregation and what happened after slavery ended, this is an example of that. But this deals with understanding policy and law politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth power resources and the writing of law statutes ordinances amendments and treaties their adoption interpretation and enforcement all this deals with laws and policies the gi bill was law and it helped to maldistribute wealth power resources to the hands of europeans All right, if you'd like this type of information, also you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show, dollar sign, the AHN show, or through Cash App, um, the, or, or through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Uh, this is our official Cash App account. And when you go to it, it shows my picture there and uh, it says Michael. These other ones here are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. So we're here six days a week. The Celsius keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. Um, and if you, if you like this, if this information that we shared in this show, if you like this, then the 10 week online course that I teach 
uh, will blow you away. Dealing with history from 1865 through 1968, because we deal with some of this history. We deal with World War One, World War Two, Civil War, uh, Great Migration, Black Power Movement, all of that. Okay. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime. So as soon as you register, you can watch the class that we did last week and the week before. I teach this class on Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Next class is going to be uh, Saturday, November 20th. This is from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips, uh, everything. Okay. Um, so you can register for this one here. And, and we and we start out looking at events that lead to the Civil War taking place, starting with the Louisiana Purchase of 1803, the Missouri Compromise of 1820. We look at the uh, Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, the um, uh, Compromise of 1850. And the Compromise of 1850 dealt with organizing the land that the U.S. got uh, uh, from the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo of 1848. And the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo is what ended the Mexican-American War of 1846 to 1848. So we go through and look at all this history chronologically to see how all these historical events are related and how we got to where we are today to understand where we need to go from here. Okay, so I do that on Saturdays. Then the other class, the, the, the class I teach on Sundays is ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understand the land of slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. This one here, we do a PowerPoint presentation, video clips, articles, book references. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. The next class is Sunday, November 21st. Um, as soon as you register, you can watch the class we did last week. And from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, that class basically picks up where understanding the transatlantic slave trade leads off. Okay. So these classes will keep you busy. And right now you can so understanding transatlantic slave trade is regularly $130 on sale, $80. Um, we have a special link here. You can register for both classes for only $100. So that's uh, like $160 savings. Uh, where is that? Let me post that link here. So you can register for both classes and you can start watching right now and you can join us in class this weekend. Um, Let's see, that would be, okay. We'll post this link here. Okay, uh, right here. Course bundle pack, $100, uh, $400. I'll post the link here. And if you have any questions about the classes, uh, email me at uh, AHN show at African History Network. Because we just posted a link, allows you to register for both classes for only $100, and that is over 50% off. It's like uh, $160 off. 
Okay. And if you have any questions, email me at AHN show at African history network.com. And if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization to speak for uh, African American history month, Dr. Keen day Kwanzaa, I also have a, a, a presentation dealing with the origins of Christmas and the pre-Christian origins of Christmas also. Okay. So if you want me to do a, a presentation in person or a virtual presentation or teach a class for your group or organization or your church, either in person or virtual presentation, email me at AHN show at African history network.com. And I can teach this class also to your group. Also, if you want either one of these classes, all right. Um, African-American business owners, uh, email us also, and we'll let you know how you can advertise with the African History Network or current promotion. Buy one month, get two months free. All right, we have to get out of here. Uh, remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Peace. Soul in Motion, celebrating 38 years in the arts. This energetic ensemble of dancers and drummers was started by percussionist Michael Friend and is led by choreographer, associate director Pam Lassiter. Based in the Washington, D.C. area, Soul in Motion is now accepting bookings for Black History Month, Juneteenth, and summer festivals in 2022. Soul in Motion is also available for more intimate events like naming ceremonies and weddings. To find out more or to book your date, call 240-452-1349 or send an email to info at soulinmotion.org. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Soul in Motion celebrating our history, our culture, our future. Soul in Motion. Theater, African dance, and drumming since 1984. Kwanzaa is coming and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African-American flag, and a basket. Visit thekwanzashop.com, thekwanzashop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit thekwanzashop.com and place your order today. Thekwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. Thekwanzashop.com Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that 
is traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese. Because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's time to be the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today.